Languages of Poverty. This is a podcast from the Open University. We're looking at the way in which politicians have changed the way we describe and define poverty in an era of rising inequality. You, know, you mentioned also the importance of the historical context. And I wanted to ask, Jerry, where would you place the strivers versus skivers distinction in the history of post-war British welfare policy? Well, clearly there's um, a long history of making a distinction between what we could call the good poor and the bad poor. That is between people whose poverty was largely due to circumstances beyond their immediate control against another group whose poverty was largely attributed to their own inadequacies. Deserving or undeserving. Deserving or undeserving. Now, you focused, obviously, you asked the question about post-war Britain, but clearly we could go back even further into the late 19th century where you begin to get the emergence of a language which was very punitive, very harsh, which talks about certain sections of the impoverished working class in horrific terms. I mean, they're conjured up as a dangerous class, the residium, the leftovers, the outcasts. There's a whole series of very horrible terms used to describe that section of the population. But when we come to the post-World War II era, We think back about the 1950s, 1960s as the golden age of the British welfare state. But even during that period, it's not too difficult to find a language that talks about the deserving and undeserving. So, for example, one of the key problem groups in the 1950s and 60s were the problem families. Problem families who were not raising their kids properly, were not living life properly, whose culture was holding them back in some kind of way. And that isn't just to do with um, benefits or employability or, or working. It's also to do with things like housing. I mean, the post-war period is you know, the period where there's a massive expansion of municipal or council housing, as it came to be known. And you know, local authorities following government edicts used to make distinctions between good and bad tenants. So this language of strivers and skivers builds throughout the post-war period, but really begins to come into its own in the 1970s, 1980s, up until today in 2013, where we see it working through in a whole number of ways. So the notion of strivers and skivers has been conjured up by the UK government under David Cameron as a distinction between the hardworking and the feckless. But it has to be said that was also a distinction that Gordon Brown and Tony Blair in the Labour Party used when New Labour was in power up until 2011 as well. So there's a long history of making this distinction between different sections of people experiencing poverty, groups experiencing poverty, that suggests for some of them, you know, poverty is to do with wider economic factors perhaps, but for others, it's about a lack of morality, a lack of upbringing, a lack of standards, or simply they lack the wherewithal to actually, not the economic wherewithal, but they lack the the moral fibre to live the lives that the rest of us. And I think what that really particularly today draws upon is what happened under the Thatcher period, in the Thatcher period, which is the individualisation of social problems. The idea that these, like unemployment and poverty, aren't social problems, they're to do with people's individual defects. Now, Thatcher, for example, just before she was elected, did an interview with the Catholic Herald, and she said there was no such thing as primary poverty in countries like Britain. Instead, we are left with people who don't know how to budget and don't know how to spend their earnings properly. And she said you were left with a basic behavioural personality defect. That, of course, was at the very heart of Thatcherism, the idea of these issues, if you're unemployed or poor, isn't because of wider defects with the way the economy is structured. 
down to your own behaviour. Keith Joseph is seen as actually being the standard bearer of the Tory rights, a key influence for Margaret Thatcher, until he made an infamous speech in the early 70s where he suggested that those on lower social groups were reproducing faster than the rest of the population, which he said threatened the human stock. He was drawing on a very broad, long tradition in Britain of eugenicism, particularly which flourished in the interwar period and actually attracted adherents on the so-called left. Fabians, early Fabians, for example, experimented or toyed with ideas of eugenicism. So did, for example, Beveridge, the founder of the welfare state, as did the Webbs, those key founders of, of Fabianism in Britain. And, of course, you speak about the residuum earlier on. But at the same time, in the Thatcher period, that flourished in a way it hadn't, I think, previously in post-war Britain. Norman Tebbit did a famous speech, of course, saying... Back in the early 1930s, my dad didn't complain about the lack of work. He got on his bike and he looked for it. Get on your bike became almost a cliche in Thatcher's Britain. If everyone tries their hardest, they can get work. That individualisation of, of social problems is something new Labour carried on and helped reinforce those attitudes because people felt, well, look, if even the Labour Party, the traditional champion of the poor, if you like, are making these arguments, then no one else was making counter-arguments about inequality and poverty, and so these views became ever more entrenched. I think that Owen is absolutely right to raise the issue about the individualisation of you know wider UK society, not just in terms of how poverty and inequality is understood, but in a wider way of understanding of society. So the language of poverty depends to a large extent on how they're defining it. Well, I think what has happened, and again, we can trace this way back to, again, the late 19th century, and both of us have highlighted different aspects of this. What it tends to do is draw attention away from the economic causes of impoverishment, the economic causes of inequality more generally, to focus on individual inadequacy, family problems, family irresponsibility, kids not being brought up properly. We take the notion of a broken society, which the Conservatives under Cameron have been running on about for the last couple of years or so. We have this notion of a broken society that focuses almost entirely on cultural deficit, individual problems. Where's the wider context of economic change within UK society? The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu forward slash iTunes U.